Well, you know, cities are are full of people, <laughs> and and that's not a meant to be a simple statement. But ultimately, you know, understanding how people might react in a future climate, or how even how citizens are involved in engaging with policy. A lot of cities are driven, or the policies in cities are driven by citizen actors. You know, the politicians are reacting to the people in their cities. They're making decisions that they think are important to the citizens. So if we're wanting to write policies based on science and, and what we understand the science is saying about sustainability or about climate change, then we need to understand how citizens either understand climate change, but also how they might benefit or not benefit from the policies that we need to change. You're listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, where we make sustainability research meaningful for the everyday person. This podcast is produced by the IIEE at Lund University. This episode is hosted by Stephen Curtis and Sophie Sundin. Tell me and I will forget. Show me, and I will remember. Involve me, and I will understand. Step back, and I will act. You may have heard this famous Chinese proverb, which calls for people's involvement and participation to inspire action. We'll consider this in today's episode, where we will discuss an emerging mode of urban governance, which involves citizens and other stakeholders through experimentation in the city. Welcome back to another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Sophie. Yes, another episode. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about urban governance. And uh, speaking about the urban, you just got back from, from Stockholm. How was your uh, weekend in the capital city of Sweden? Yeah, it was really good, thank you. Uh, Stockholm is a great city. It's really beautiful and nice to stroll the streets. But I also strolled past the parliament building, uh, and I could not help but thinking that Governance is not an easy thing. You know, we had an election more than a month ago here in Sweden, and we still have no government in place. But of course, this complexity is something you have to navigate, especially on a national level where you try to, you know, navigate different viewpoints and different st stakeholders. But it can also be applied to any kind of organization, a company, or even a city. Yeah, so oftentimes we think of governance as being the same as government, but we'll talk about the distinction and the difference between uh, this in, in today's episode. Uh, this week we're focusing on urban governance, uh, which as you might recall from our previous episodes, urban governance is one of the four research themes within which the IIEE is conducting research. In this episode, we'll talk with our research coordinator, Professor Yeni Palm, about her observations on research in this space. Uh, moreover, Sophie and I wanted to report insights from a conference that we went to last week. The conference was called City Futures, collaboration between science and society for sustainable solutions. This conference attracted speakers and participants from around the globe. Uh, one of those in attendance was uh, Kathy Oak. You heard her at the beginning of this episode. She is the knowledge broker at the Melbourne University. You'll hear more from her later in the episode. But before we go into any further depth in this episode, we need to talk about what is urban governance. 
Governance is one of those difficult words to define within academia. There are different perspectives from different disciplines to take into account. But at our institute, governance is seen as the collective regulation of social affairs. This collective includes individuals like you and I, or you who listen. It includes organizations such as companies, the media, and nonprofits. It also includes public actors such as the municipal, the regional, and national governments, among others. Therefore, it is important to differentiate governance from government. Government is a form of governance, but governance is much more encompassing. For example, it may include self-regulation, authoritative regulation, or co-regulation. Of course, governance happens at all levels, from household to organization, friends group to national governments. Are you with me, Stephen? I think I'm following you. So uh, I remembered my mom, she always required me to eat my vegetables when I was growing up. Um, could this be seen as an example of, of governance at, like a, at a family level? Yeah, why not? You can say that your family had a governance structure. You may have had chores and other roles and responsibilities in your family. Maybe one of your parents was more authoritative and dictated expectations or rules when you had to come home from a friend's house, whereas the other parent was more involved and cooperative. The one who negotiated how many cookies you could eat in, in exchange for laundry duty, for example. These approaches can be seen as forms of authoritative regulation and co-regulation. So much like your family or my family, uh, the city can also be seen as a space which is governed collectively by the different actors working in the space. So for example, the city or municipal government may regulate authoritatively, such as setting speed limits or collecting local tourism taxes from hotels. Businesses and other organizations may co-regulate by working together with the Chamber of Commerce or business development unit at the municipality. Uh, the media also can govern through the news that they report and the way in which the news is reported. Yes, but there is one other aspect that we need to remember and remember to consider when we talk about urban governance. Can you think of what it is, Stephen? I'm assuming that the, the local context is also important of uh, course. when talking about urban governance. Definitely. The context is influenced by demographics, economics, culture, religion, education, form of government, among other things. The context impacts the principles, norms and rules and other decision-making procedures that are used to govern particular issues within a city. But of course, the city context is influenced also by national and international events. But why all this focus on cities and urban environments? To help us understand the importance of cities in advancing sustainable solutions, we are joined by our new correspondent, Carolina Södergren. She's a PhD researcher at our institute, and she will be working on finding synergies to improve efficiency in city contexts. So she is the perfect person for us to help clarify why cities, Carolina. Hi, Sophie. Thank you very much. And yeah, it's true. Cities are getting more attention worldwide, also in the political arena. There are two examples I'd like to mention. The first one is known as the Agenda 2030, and the second is the recent IPCC report that was launched in early October, so only last week. Agenda 2030 was adopted by the UN and its member countries in 2015. It's a wide-reaching plan that lays out 17 goals known as the Sustainable Development Goals, or the UN Global Goals, and they now represent the main global action plan towards sustainability. Among these goals, number 11 is fully dedicated to sustainable cities and communities. That's a real step forward. Similarly, the new report released by the IPCC also places cities at the forefront of our battle to fight climate change. The IPCC is an intergovernmental body of the UN working with scientific data on climate change. Ah, those are hard words to pronounce for my Swedish time. 
The report released last week detailed the latest science in relation to the goal agreed upon in Paris to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. In the report, the importance of cities and urban contexts working towards a sustainable transformation was reiterated on numerous occasions. And around the world, cities are stepping up their game. Multiple urban initiatives are developing. For example, the C40 Cities Network connects megacities committed to addressing climate change, or the ECLI, which connects local governments working for sustainability, or the Covenant of Mayors, which effectively promotes local climate and energy actions. But what are the reasons behind this? What are the links to sustainability? Well, it's commonly agreed that it's to do with the massive increase in urbanization that we witnessed over the past decades. That is, the tendency of people shifting residency or moving from rural to urban areas. Like Kathy said at the beginning, cities are full of people. Because today, a whole 50% of the world's population live in cities, which, however, cover only about 3% of the Earth's surface. That's huge. By 2050, they estimate about 70% of the world's population be urban, as roughly 1.5 million people, or the equivalent of the population of Stockholm, are now moving into cities every week. That's a lot of people on a limited amount of space. Yeah, Carolina, a question for me. In my research, I'm studying the impact that consumption has in cities. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the number of people and increasing urbanization and what impact this has from a consumption point of view in cities. Absolutely. That's a great question, Stephen. So today, cities account for some 75% of the world's energy use and over 70% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions. And if you look at food waste... This already comprises 50 to 70% of municipal solid waste in several cities around the globe, including Beijing and Shanghai in China. Perhaps some of you know about this already, but food waste is becoming a huge global issue, with one-third of all food being wasted, which represent 4.4 gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions and a financial cost of approximately $750 billion annually. Can you believe they actually say that if food waste was a country, it would be the third greenhouse gas emitter globally after the US and China? There is also an important link between cities and their impact on freshwater systems. So one major challenge is to provide adequate water and sanitation facilities to the 800 million people living in slums or informal settlements that are scattered around the world cities. So therefore, we need to see cities as important players in providing access to basic needs and human rights. Cities represent about 80% of global GDP and they are big generators of wealth with a clear socio-political footprint. Thanks, Carolina. You know, in, in listening to some of the facts and figures that she's sharing with, with us and, and our listeners, sometimes I, I can feel a little bit overwhelmed with how, uh, how many challenges we face in society, in, in particular in cities. But for me, I try to see these challenges as opportunities. And and uh, whenever I present my research at conferences or discuss my work with friends and family, I always use these challenges as examples of what motivates me and as an opportunity uh, to work in this space. So, for example, of course, I talk about climate change and the urgency we, much, we must act to meet the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. I also may talk about population growth and, and how that's putting more stress on the amount of resources that we're consuming uh, and so on in society. This also then impacts increasing urbanization, where more and more people are moving to cities. Clearly, cities have an important role to play in advancing sustainable solutions. 
I often think of cities as catalysts for change. Yeah, and if you think about it, this has been the case for a long time. From the earliest times, cities have been centers of democracy, creativity, and economic activity. But why is this? Economics and geography informs us that density and agglomeration are essential for productivity and growth. Cities also serve as catalysts for collective action, decision-making, and accountability. So while cities contribute greatly to our sustainability challenges through resource and energy use, they also allow for testing of solutions among diverse actors that can be scaled up quickly in other contexts. This testing of new innovation often takes place in different kinds of experimentations. And experimenting in cities is now taking place all over the world. Urban experimentation is emerging as a new form of governance in order to tackle our urban sustainability challenges. If you recall from our previous episode, experimentation was among the recommendations made by an interdisciplinary group of scientists to policymakers in order to test, develop and learn about sustainable solutions. In order to understand what is happening in this space, we sat down with Yanni Palm, professor and research coordinator of the research theme Urban Governance and Experimentation here at the IIIEE. So Yanni, governance can be many things. What does it mean in an urban context? Yeah, for us, I think that governance means how we can manage and plan and finance uh, exciting uh, experiments on an urban level. And urban governance is that we need to do that. We need a collaboration between local governments, uh, local authorities and different kind of stakeholders, but also from the citizens. For me, urban governance is a lot about planning or collaborative planning, that we need a lot of people coming together, making an effort to change uh, what is happening in, a, in an urban arena. And how do we work with urban governance at our institute? Uh, what I think is special with the institute is that we are very solution-oriented, so we are not just problematize everything that can be problematized with urban governance, but we also try to find solutions. So we work a lot with tool development and we try, or, or in all our projects, we collaborate with different stakeholders and that can be the local government, but it can also be companies or NGOs or citizen groups or to see how we can solve the problems that is coming with climate change in, in the local arena. And what do you think is the potential of working with urban governance in this setting with all these stakeholders? I, I think we have great opportunities, actually. And we are in a region where, where, where a lot of things is happening. And we're working, for example, together with, with the city of Malmö that is very into experimentation, have done that for many years. So we have all possibility in the world to try out, take ideas that comes from research and from theory development and change that and make it applicable for, for the actors that we are working with. So I think that we have great opportunities. So in this episode, we have now heard that cities are an important factor to work with if we want to address sustainability goals and sustainability challenges. What would you say are the trends within the field of urban governance? Where do we go from here? Yeah, I think that the trends are different. Uh, living labs and experimentations that we in a small scale try out different ideas and for uh, in the institute we are for example working a lot with sharing cities and looking at different solutions that is coming with this new idea that we don't need to own everything by ourselves or that the municipality need to own it but that we can share it together and that is 
an excellent example, I think, uh, on an experimentation uh, project that we have where we can try out these ideas in, in practice. So the urban arena, I would say, that's where things needs to be happen and also happens. And that's why that arena is so interesting. On Thursday, October 11th, Sophie and I attended a conference which was hosted by Yenny and her team at the IIIE. The conference was called City Futures, Collaboration Between Science and Society for Sustainable Solutions. The conference invited participants from academia, municipalities, NGOs, and business to learn about and discuss experimentation, learning, and collaboration in cities. At the conference, cities were demonstrated to be the perfect testbed for many potential solutions to our sustainability challenges. This is because cities are characterized by concentrated economic activity, dense social networks, relatively nimble municipal governments, resources in the forms of financial investment, as well as human ingenuity. Cities also have the necessary infrastructure and technology, and often have a legacy of innovation. But most importantly, cities are seen as important venues for experimentation due to their local proximity between citizens, solutions, and the context in which these solutions are embedded. And this is why cities are the best place to experiment. Urban experimentation can take on many forms. This is the very essence of experimentation, to try new and different things, and to challenge our perceptions of how things should be done, and to dare to be visionary and push the boundaries of what we believe is possible. Urban experimentation can, therefore, be focused on a range of things, such as how we use the public spaces in the city, how we live and use our homes, how we consume goods and services as consumers in the economy, how we use, generate or distribute useful energy, how we move about a city via different modes of transportation, you name it. There are multiple examples of urban experimentation around the world, including urban farming, where food production is brought into the city, thus creating green spaces and reducing transportation. And of course, the urban living labs that Jenny mentioned, providing spaces for people to come together to try out new solutions, to share knowledge and learning to improve the city. So experimentation, though, is not devoid of criticism. At the conference, there were critics that voiced their concern that experimentation is less efficient than top-down governance practices. Furthermore, some feared that experimentation only props up the existing economic regime that has contributed to our current unsustainable way of living. This is because experimentation may, but doesn't necessarily always, promote technology and innovation as part of the solutions tested in context. Yeah, and research is ongoing to determine if and when these criticisms are valid. However, one thing that was discussed at the conference was how urban governance has changed over time. In the late 1900s, urban governance was authoritative, or top-down, in that decisions were made at the municipal level. Urban planning was thus an issue reserved for a privileged few affecting many people. This is something that has begun to loosen, as the pendulum now is swinging towards participatory approaches. That is, from a top-down planning approach towards a collaborative, experimental way of governing where cities learn as they go. Some of the key takeaways from the conference that we thought we'd like to share with you include experimentation, how experimentation leads to learning and the implementation of sustainable solutions, how important collaboration is among a variety of stakeholders, and the value of public participation in urban experimentation. The first takeaway that I had from the conference emphasized the evolution in urban governance from urban planning to urban experimentation. 
which embraces more inclusive ways of governing based on the context the solutions are embedded in in the city. A speaker at the conference said, quote, Urban experimentation is cities trying to localize science and understanding certain sustainability-related issues in a way that is relevant and feasible to the context they're in, end quote. This renders experimentation as the bridge between science and society, where ideas and innovation are shaped to fit the urban context through public participation and experimentation. City governments that experiment successfully often engage in an iterative process, which means that the experimentation is responsive to new information, analysis, or tools and frameworks. But of course, learning throughout the experimentation process is key. However, experimentation does not just take place in an urban context, but of course can happen within organizations, all the way up to national and international policy interventions. One way that helps me to think about experimentation as a process towards solutions is to think of experiments like cooking. Making dinner requires collaboration, for example, from all the different ingredients in different amounts using different methods and tools. When I'm done cooking for my partner and I, we have a nice meal to share together. But I always ask, or myself, I reflect upon, what could I do differently next time? Maybe I add more salt. Maybe instead of boiling the potatoes, I bake the potatoes. Each time I cook, the meal becomes increasingly better and better. What is important is that we learn and improve from each time I attempt a recipe. Similarly, learning is an important condition of experimentation in cities. Stephen, cooking is a great metaphor for this. And of course, all this experimentation that is done in cities is of course intended to provide learning that can help us move forward towards sustainable cities and systems. But to do this, certain ingredients, if I may use your metaphor a bit more, are needed to move forward. And one word or ingredient that has begun to enter the discourse is agility. We need agile policymaking, agile companies, agile leaders, and agile governance strategies that allow a more flexible approach to learning, more of a learning by doing, and to not be afraid of fail, but to embrace learning that happens at various stages, at various times, and among various stakeholders of a process. Another key ingredient for securing valuable insights and learning is reflexivity. Reflexivity means that we need to be critical when we assess the current ways of doing things, the things we now take for granted, and also that we are critical about the visions of where we're going to not just buy into anything that is served to us, but to actually think about where does this take us? Which pathway are we on? Right. And this reflexivity happens among all the different actors that are engaged in an experimentation process. So as such, another key component of experimentation is collaboration among stakeholders. So collaboration brings together actors from the municipality, from academia and industry, typically through innovative partnerships. Once again, the context is important. However, speakers at the conference agreed that a genuine and meaningful collaboration is necessary in contrast to just stating that you're collaborating with someone on, on paper, which we know happens sometimes as well. Many examples are seen of collaboration in cities. One of the, the examples that was mentioned at the conference was this idea of urban living labs. In my previous research here at the Institute, I looked at urban living labs across Europe. There's a lot of really cool examples of, of how cities are engaging in different partnerships. So for example, in Copenhagen, the city government partnered with a local construction company as well as a university 
to design a public space where they asked citizens to come and participate through a series of workshops with all of the actors present and really think about how are citizens going to use that space effectively. There are hundreds of examples of these urban living labs across Europe, and I think it's a really cool uh, example of, of experimentation, but then also how citizens are engaged in the process. This makes me really inspired, and it makes me want to think about how can I engage in this dialogue, and how can I be part of urban governance? I'm thinking that there are numerous ways that you and I can engage in all this, wh whatever your relationship to the city is. Maybe you live in a city, maybe you benefit from the goods or the services uh, that is provided by the city, or maybe you're just curious about what the city does. Stephen, what can we do? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if you're really uh, passionate about getting involved in a city, you could run for some type of local office, whether it's a position uh, of mayor or working on the local school board. Um, there's a whole host of different ways that you can engage in the city and, of course, bring these insights on how to think about living more sustainably within that city. Now, if you think that's maybe too extreme or one doesn't have time uh, to do that, of course, you can reach out to your local government. There, Like I said, there's a multitude of ways in which you as a citizen can be involved in how your city is experimenting and governing. Google, I think, is a great resource to start to understand maybe some of the different mechanisms that may be in place in your city to involve citizens in public participation and decision-making and so on. This might include innovation hubs, these urban living labs I mentioned, as well as providing direct feedback to local policymakers and businesses. I think what's important is to know that there are a multitude of opportunities to be a part of a lively urban environment that is being created through processes of experimentation and learning and that your input is valuable and needed in order to transition to more sustainable futures. And maybe you're up for collaborating with academia. I know that Sophie and I are always interested in getting in touch with our listeners as well as with people that are living in cities to understand how people see and experience their cities. So keep a lookout for, for partners in your community that are interested in getting your feedback on, on how you understand and experience your city. Participation is so important and is a precondition for our transition to a more sustainable future. Yeah, and in this participatory uh, atmosphere here, we want to share with you some of the highlights from the conference that took place last week. Some invited special guests for the conference included colleagues from the University of Melbourne in Australia, and we had the pleasure of hosting them for nearly two weeks here at the IIIEE. In chatting with them, we wanted to know more about their research and thoughts on citizen engagement in decision-making processes in the city. So, first you will hear from Dr. Judy Bush, a postdoc researcher at Melbourne University. And next, you will hear from our discussion with Dr. Kathy Oak, the keynote speaker at the conference, but also whom you already heard from in the very introduction to this episode. Kathy Oak is a knowledge broker at Melbourne University, and she's also the first vice president of ICLEI. A key part of the success of the waterways restoration was providing opportunities for local residents to actually participate in that restoration. So having planting days and, and having bird watching days and frog monitoring days where you listen for the frog calls and providing opportunities for people to actually 
um, get their hands dirty. <laughs> it's interesting reflecting back on it. I think as someone involved in, in the community engagement aspects, we learnt a lot about what worked and what, did, what didn't work. That's the, one of the almost a, a sort of a tacit definition of experimentation. So um, I think trying different approaches and realising that some approaches were miserable failures and others were successes is, is a really important part of that, that work. And I think we experimented with social aspects of community engagement. We experimented with sort of the technical horticultural aspects of how to plant what species where. We experimented with institutional and political processes of regulations and what regulations were effective at protecting the creek and how we could get those regulations put in place by the governments that had the power to do so. I think in research or developing research projects that are based on cities, um, about the changes that cities might need to take, it's super important to understand or even involve right at the beginning and collaborate with citizens. And then often some of the best research questions come from the citizens who are concerned about a particular environmental issue. And I know that when we've worked through the call hub with citizens about air quality, it's, it's often the citizens who are acutely aware of the damage that bad pollution or air pollution is bringing. They're the ones with the asthma or reacting to particular pollutants. And they're the ones that are often asking either the politicians or the scientists, can you help us tell us why? That's just an example, but they're involving citizens in science is super important, but I think it's important not to involve citizens just to help you collect data like citizen science and not just to include them as an audience who you might inform a public debate or a, a dialogue where you tell the citizens this is what you've learned. Rather, involve them at the beginning because they will, I guarantee you, they might challenge you, they might infuriate you because they don't understand the science like you do, but I can guarantee that they will help you fine-tune your research in a way that is fruitful and beneficial for both sides. So, Sophie, we're already reaching the end of the episode. Is there anything that you want to touch on before we close this episode? Yeah. Thinking about what we have discussed in this episode, something that I really wish to emphasize is the urgency of the current environmental situation. We have climate change already expressing profound effects around the globe. The 1.5 degrees Celsius special report released by the IPCC last week summarizes nicely the mounting challenges and the need for deep changes in societies, in cities, in individuals. In particular, Chapter 5 of the report recognizes that urban governance is critical to ensuring that the necessary urban transitions deliver economic growth and equity. The report also conveys the urgency to address a range of issues over a very short amount of time. We've got no time to lose. Everyone needs to get on board now, and for that we need to collaborate. In order to move fast, we'll have to explore and learn along the way, not waste time finding the perfect recipe, which rarely ends up perfect anyway. I agree. Now, having painted this picture, it's important to know that we can reverse these seemingly negative trends into positive opportunities for change. 
I mentioned this when I was discussing the, what motivates me in my research. I truly believe that together we can embrace the innovative creative power that we possess as the human collective. If well-planned and well-managed, cities and urbanization can indeed be powerful tools for sustainable development for both developing and developed country contexts. However, in order for this to be successful, a systems perspective is necessary in order to lay the groundwork for envisioning the way that cities are connected and integrated with the world around it, and this includes relationships within cities, between cities and the countryside, cities in the region, and cities and the rest of the world. However, financial and human capital is a precondition. The level of funding needed for sound, urban adaptation will exceed the capabilities of local governments. More support and buy-in is needed from businesses and national governments. There are existing international funding mechanisms in place, such as the Global Environmental Fund or the Green Climate Fund. However, these funds remain woefully underfunded. Much investment will have to come from individuals, households, communities, businesses, both in the form of financial investments, but also through decisions that they take in order to address the challenges that we face in our cities. So Stephen, wrapping up, what do you want listeners to come away with? So if there's anything that I've learned through my engagement in cities, it's that engagement is more than just posting on social media. It's taking an active role in being involved in how cities are operated and governed. Like I said before, cooking is all about experimenting and inviting new people to the kitchen, and the city is really just a kettle full of potential. I want our listeners to feel empowered to join urban discussions in their cities, to voice their ideas, to be ambassadors for change. This is something that I truly believe in. Sophie, what about you? What do you want listeners to take away with? Well, I want them to come away with the same message that I myself take home, and that is that cities truly are catalysts for change through processes of experimentation, learning, and collaboration. Therefore, I think we must be active and participate in the governance of our cities, and we also need to allow our cities to try new things, and we must let them fail and learn and do better. And we must do this together. I agree. Well, with this episode coming to a close, we'd like to thank the conference organizers, who included Bjorn, Kess, Oke, and Daniela from our institute. We enjoyed ourselves immensely and thought that the discussion was meaningful and necessary in bringing together science and society. We also want to say thank you to Kathy Oak, Judy Bush, and Jenny Palm for giving some of their time to partake in our interviews. And lastly, we want to thank our amazing podcast team, who is supported by our correspondent Carolina Södergren, our communication coordinator Maya Sambay, and a special thanks to our director of the Institute, Lena Ney, for her support. And, of course, thanks to you, our listeners. We have several exciting episodes planned into the new year. For example, next month, we have a special episode coming to you in conjunction with the launch of a new MOOC on the Coursera platform. This massive open online course is called Circular Economy, Sustainable Materials Management, and starts on the 12th of November. Find out more information about the MOOC at our website, www.iiiee.com. .lu.se. Our new episode will launch on November 8th and will discuss circular economy, complementing the MOOC. Mark your calendars. In the meantime, this is Stephen and Sophie signing off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you.